Okay, please take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 3. While you're turning there, if you would like an outline for this morning's message and this evening's message, Evan will have those outlines. Please raise your hand and he'll be sure to get one to you. Uh, it's a two-part message today. The first part will be preached this morning. The second part will be preached this evening. And so that handout will become particularly valuable to you as uh, all six points are on it. Um, as well, let me mention that if you are not going to be able to make it back this evening for whatever reason, all of the sermons do get placed online at LegacyBaptistChurch.net and um, they should be up Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest depending on how the week goes and scheduling and such. And we'll get those sermons up and you can listen to both of them together, the second half, whatever you'd like to do online at a later date. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We left off last time, so we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, speaking of the, the dynamic between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. And as we did so, we mentioned the reality that though the spirit of man that uh, the scriptures describe, that which pertains unto a man, though the spirit of a man can intellectually understand the things of the Bible... He is incapable of properly recognizing the significances of those truths outside of the help of the Holy Spirit. As Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 2 about this, he spoke of the spirit of a man versus the spirit of God. And he said, What knoweth the things of a man but the spirit of the man that is in him? What can know the things of a man except a man? Likewise, who can know the things of God but God and the Spirit of God? And so when we are saved and the Spirit of God indwells us, we are capable of understanding, of knowing, of fully comprehending those things that pertain unto God in a way that those who do not have the Spirit of God cannot hope to understand or cannot hope to know. And as we closed, I mentioned specifically how important chapter 2 is that we talked about last week as a link between the rebuke of Paul in chapter 1 for carnality and that which he then goes on to say, his conclusion of his thoughts in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It was several messages ago that as I was preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I jumped us, if you recall, from verses 10 through 17 to chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And we talked about those verses as the conclusion of Paul's rebuke of the church in regard to their carnality. He called them carnal. And he used the reality, the, the example of the division that was in the church as proof of their carnality. He said, some of you say, I am of Paul. Others, I am of Apollos. Others, I am Cephas. I am of Cephas. Others, I am of Christ. And he said, when you're dividing yourself into these carnal factions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And so he says here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, that when they first got saved, of course, he had to start very basic with them. He couldn't talk about the spiritual things. He had to start with carnal things, had to feed them with the milk of the Word, not the meat of the Word. He says they were not able to bear the meat. And he tells them, that they need to grow up. That they need to get over these petty differences, that they need to get over these divisions, that they need to stop thinking on an earthly, worldly wisdom plane. They need to start putting on the mind of Christ. They need to grow up. 
And as they, as Paul did so, as he exhorted them unto this in verses 5 through 7, he stated clearly that it was not Paul, nor was it Apollos that deserved glory or that deserved loyalty, but rather it was Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 5. He said, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed? Even as the Lord gave to every man. And he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul may have been the one that planted the seeds of truth in the hearts of God's people. Apollos may have been the one that took those seeds and watered them and tended them and grew them up and helped them grow. But the the thing that grew them, the thing that brought about the increase in their hearts and lives unto godliness was God. God was the one that brought about the increase. Now the significance here is seen with these contrasting conjunctions all throughout the passage. You see the word but found all throughout. Verse 5, he says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers of whom you believed? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now the he that planteth and he that receiveth and water, or, or he that watereth are one. And so we see this idea of Paul contrasting one thing with another. And he's not contrasting me and Apollos or Paul and Cephas. He's contrasting ministers of the Gospel with Jesus Christ. The deliverers of the Gospel with the source of the Gospel. And that's what we're going to see throughout the the message today. Paul is going to be speaking about these physical ministers. He's not speaking about the Gospel itself though the Gospel will find its way, of course, in. But he's, he's speaking about the ministers of the Gospel and trying to reveal, trying to show, trying to make plain the differences between loyalty to the Gospel and to the Word of God and placing your loyalties upon a minister of God. And as we finish our sermon this evening, the second part, we're going to see everything climax to this one warning. It's number six on your outline that the church must not be loyal to the minister, but to the Word of God that he's ministering. That the loyalty in the church is not meant to be to the man, but to the Word of God that the man is preaching. And that will be the climax. That's where Paul is going with this. One man deserves the credit. One man deserves the glory for the work that is done in the hearts of men, and that is God. Paul's teaching, however, takes a little bit of a turn in verse 8. Paul states that while in respect to the church of God, the efforts of Paul and Apollos are the same. Paul and Apollos are ministers. And when they, with respect to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are both ministers. Paul does turn to each and every minister and gives an individual responsibility to them as ministers of God for the work that they do. It's God that does the work, but each minister should fully understand that they have to do things God's way if God's work is going to be done. And, by extension, as God judges the ministries of ministers, He will not be judging the ministries of the ministers based upon some carnal expectation of what the minister expects or the minister's goals. He will be judging the minister based upon God's expectations. Because God is the one that brings forth the increase. It's about God. It's not about man. 
And as I studied this passage, I would like to make a statement of, of correction. I've used this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, many times. And I've always applied it to you all as disciples. The gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. I've always exhorted you that you are building up gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And that, as Paul teaches in the passage, when we stand before God on Judgment Day, that which remains, that which is gold, silver, precious stones, will remain through the fire of God's judgment. And that which is wood, hay, and stubble is burned up. And while I believe it's true and an accurate extension of the passage as we see it here, I'd like to make it clear that this passage is actually teaching about ministers. It's teaching ministers that which they are building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in the body, in the temple, in the house of God that is the church of God. And so while it's fine and right to extend the teaching to each of us individually in the discipleship and Christian lives that we have, I have been wrong in the past at not showing you or diverting you to the reality that this is toward ministers. And I was wrong on that because I had not seen that particular emphasis until this last time I studied it. So to that degree, I apologize if I was misrepresenting the Scriptures in any way. And I want to make it clear today that Paul's original intent in this passage is warning ministers about what they're building in the church, not inherently warning each of us about what we're building in our lives. And I'd like us to carry that through in our understanding of how I'm going to preach this message today. What Paul is doing in chapter 3 and chapter 4, as we'll see that in a couple of weeks, is warning those in the church who are the leaders of the carnal division that they are bringing into the church and their accountability before God for that division. They will stand before God and they will answer to Him for what they have done in and through the local church. And he's contrasting these ministers in Corinth with the care that he and Apollos had shown to the church when they were present. And so what we're going to see this morning is six warnings. Well, this morning we'll see three of those. What we'll see in the message between this morning and this evening is six warnings. Six warnings to ministers of the church of God, but I'd like us to be able to apply them to our lives as well. Now, I'm going to be speaking, as Paul is, warnings to ministers themselves. But let me encourage you and let me help you think on your plane, though perhaps you are not a minister of the church of God. Let me help you think on your plane as well this morning. You are not a minister in the church, but perhaps you have another ministry. Perhaps you are a father and you have a ministry among your family. That is a proper extension of the teaching that Paul is giving here. Perhaps you are a deacon or an usher. You have responsibilities in the church that God has given to you. This would apply to you in regard to your role in the church. And it does, in fact, extend to your individual life, though that's not the, the express teaching here. The things that we build in our lives will one day be judged by God. And so we can extend this to our individual lives as well. And I encourage you to do so as we're preaching the message this morning. These things will also help us understand two things about ministers and about the church of God. Number one, it will help us understand our duty in regard to who we allow to be ministers in the church as the church of God. Number two, it will help us recognize elements in various churches that are a cause for concern. So as you look at churches, you can understand whether or not their ministers are doing what's right according to the teaching of 1 Corinthians 3. So with that being said, let's take a look at these warnings together. 
Six warnings to ministers of the church of God. Warning number one in verses 9 through 11, if you have your Bibles, look at it with me. Ministers, do not forsake the church's one foundation. Do not forsake the church's one foundation. Look with me in verse 8. Paul says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another man buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ministers do not forsake the church's one foundation. If you're applying this to your own heart, you can say, Fathers, don't forsake your family's foundation. Individual, do not forsake your life's foundation. Paul mentions in verse 10 that we, referring to himself and Apollos and those unnamed ministers in the church of Corinth, are laborers together with God for the church. Now, in contrast to the we of the the ministers, Paul uses two analogies to describe the church itself. He calls them God's husbandry. This is the idea of a field that has been cultivated, a field that has been is ready for planting and has been planted and is being watered and is being cultivated. He also uses the analogy of them being God's building. He says, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Using this analogy is, uh, well, it's one that we very often use. It's one that we saw in Ephesians chapter 2 that we read in our scripture reading this morning. The idea of the church as the building of God. A building made up of individuals in the local church that are being built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ to erect the building. And this is why I say that this passage is written in regard to ministers specifically. You notice that Paul is, is contrasting here the we of the ministers and the ye of the church. These pronouns are very important. When you read the scriptures and you're seeking to interpret them properly, always take a look at the pronouns. Because they are going to help you understand who is being referred to. So Paul says, I'm referring to the we, the us, of the ministers, and you are the field. You are the building, and we are the builders of the building. The ministers are the builders of this building. Now within this analogy, Paul in verse 10 calls himself the wise master builder. The wise master builder. This word would literally be translated architect. It's not necessarily the one who is physically building the building, but certainly the one who presents the blueprints by which the building gets built. He is the overarching minister, the overseer, as it will, with authority to dictate how the building ought to be built. God gave him this authority. We see throughout the book of Acts, uh, we see in the book of Ephesians, we see in the book of Corinthians, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that Paul mentions specifically that God has called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He has been called to have the authority over these churches. And so Paul calls himself a master builder. And he states that as master builder, he had been the one that laid the foundation and he had entrusted other men to build upon that foundation. So the question must be asked then, what is this foundation? Paul says, I have laid the foundation. Others build on this foundation. What is the foundation that he laid? Well, he tells us right here in the text. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He says, I've laid the foundation and you never need another foundation. 
Because there's only one foundation upon which the church rests, and that foundation is Jesus Christ alone. He was the one that led many of these men and women to Christ. He was the one that started the church in Corinth. He is the one that laid that foundation of Jesus Christ upon which was built. And then he gave the church over to others to build upon it. Apollos was one of those men that he gave to help continue to build that church. And his first warning is found at the end of verse 10. He says, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Remember, it's the ministers that are the ones doing the building, according to Paul's analogy. And he says, let every man, let every minister take heed, be careful how he's building upon the foundation that's laid with Jesus, of Jesus Christ. That's the warning. Ministers, don't forsake the church's one foundation. You know, we at Legacy Baptist Church, every Thursday night, at least for a few more weeks until things get cold and dark, we go door knocking. And we come across many people who say that they are a part of a church. And if they're willing to converse with me for a few minutes, I like to take the time when they say that they're a part of a church to ask them, if you were to die right now, do you know for sure that you would be on your way to heaven? And I ask that question because quite often when I come across people that are going to churches in the area and I ask them about their salvation, they have no idea if they're on their way to heaven. If I ask them if they know what the gospel is, oftentimes they can't tell me the gospel. I remember Jared and I even uh, have conversed with this one young lady, Danielle, twice. She regularly goes to one of the churches in the area and we had given her the gospel on two occasions. And after I had given her the gospel for the second time, I asked her, do you know what sin is? And she'd never heard of the word sin in her life, except for when I had given her the gospel. She didn't even know the definition of sin. She had never heard the word sin. She, had, she was 13, 14 years old. She'd been going to church for several years and the word sin had never come up. fact of the matter is, if the church is not founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it's not a church. If the foundation of Jesus Christ is not laid, then it's not a church. If you can go to a church for weeks and for months and not hear about sin and about judgment and about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, then that church is not a church because it has no foundation and there's only one foundation upon which the church can be built. And that's the foundation of Jesus Christ. The definition of a church is not a building, nor is it stained glass. A church are those people who have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit when they were saved by grace through faith in the finished work of God alone. And so he warns ministers. He says, ministers, don't forsake the church's one foundation because the church only can have one foundation. Second warning this morning in verse 12, he says, ministers... Don't ignore what you build upon that foundation. Do not ignore what you build upon that foundation. Look with me in verse 12. He says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Paul describes what it is that ministers can build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Once you have a foundation of people who are born again, 
who have been saved by grace through faith, who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, it is then the minister's responsibility to begin to build upon that foundation. And Paul warns that there are various things that can be built upon the foundation. He says, gold, silver, and precious stones can be built upon the foundation, or wood, hay, and stubble can be built upon that foundation. The gold, silver, and precious stones are positive things. Things which will stand the test of fire and judgment. The wood, hay, and stubble are negative things. Things which will not stand the test of time. Now, there are many opinions as to what Paul is trying to reflect here with the gold, silver, precious stones and the wood, hay, and stubble. I think in some ways, it's kind of a a silly thing to try to get too deep into what Paul's reflecting here because the Scriptures make it clear throughout the New Testament what is right and what is wrong. We talked about biblical decision-making in Sunday school this morning. We went to Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. We went to 1 Corinthians 10.31. These verses, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. These verses show us what is right Show us what is that which God desires and that which God does not desire. Some say that the difference is between those elements of the church that have enduring spiritual quality and those elements of the church which are temporary, which are valueless. Some say the difference is between a a minister that would build sound doctrine, gold, silver, precious stones, or false doctrine, wood, hay, and stubble. Some would say the difference is between uh, the proper motives, worthy motives of a, of a minister or the unworthy motives that he's building in the church. Some would say it's the difference between believers that are in the church and unbelievers that have come into the church and yet are present and active and a part of the church as a whole. None of these analogies necessarily trouble me and I think that they all have an element of truth. What Paul is saying here is that there are spiritual things and there are carnal things. And whatever a minister is building that is spiritually valuable in the church, that has a spiritual quality to it, that will take the men and the women in the church and build them up into more Christ-likeness, more godliness, more like a reflection of the Word of God, it's gold, it's silver, and it's precious stones being built into that foundation. Those things that a minister would bring into the church that foster nothing of spiritual value. They are carnal. They are worldly. They are to bring about perhaps entertainment or fun or um, even societal good, but there's no spiritual value to them. Paul says that stuff is wood, hay, and stubble. Ministers are accountable to God for what they build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in the church. And so the question is, in, in a church, in your church, in this church, in the churches that you've gone to or the churches that you go to, if you're a guest here with us this morning, is the church being built into that which is worldly or is it being built into that which is spiritual? Is the church driven to act, to worship and to live by worldly motives, worldly desires, worldly lusts and worldly appetites? Or is the church being built upon that which is spiritual? Driven to act, to worship, and to live out spiritual desires, spiritual motives, spiritual empowerment. Do you see why chapter 2 was so important? See, in chapter 1, Paul is is rebuking the church for their carnality. In chapter 3, he picks up in in verses 1-7 through with this rebuke. Well, why did he add that kind of parenthesis 
in chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, verses 15. Why did he start talking about the difference between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom? The difference between the mind that's rooted in the things of this world, the philosophies of this world, the ideas of this world, and the, the philosophies that are rooted in the very Word of God itself. Well, the reason why is because ministers, the ministers in the church of Corinth were using all of the world's methods to run their church. They were building the world's thought processes, the world's motives, the world's ideas, the world's desires on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ in the church. And these people were beginning to have minds that were no different from the world around them. Even though they were a part of the church of God. And that's why Paul took so much time emphasizing the difference between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. You say, Pastor, I wasn't here for those messages. They're online. Go check them out. LegacyBaptistChurch.net Listen to them and then this message might make a little more sense to you. Let's extend this beyond the church though. We build up the church spiritually motivated, spiritual desires, but let's think about those other areas of responsibility we have. Our families. Or even ourselves as individual Christians. When we look at the church, when we look at our families, when we look at our lives, are we driven by worldly, fleshly, carnal ideas? Have we allowed the world to dominate our thinking? The world's philosophies, the world's concepts, the world's desires, are they dominated who we are and what we're about? as an individual, as a family, as a church? Or is our life, our family's lives, our church's life dominated, driven by spiritual motives and desires and actions and intentions? A church, we talked about it in, in Sunday school this morning, a church that wins people by conforming themselves to the world. A church that will try to redeem the world and bring it into the church in order to reach people is a church that is building upon their foundation wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver... Not gold, silver, and precious stones, but wood, hay, and stubble. A family who would seek to maintain a Christian testimony but is driven by their desire to be like the world, to be a part of the world, is driven and is building in that family wood, hay, and stubble. A Christian, an individual life that is motivated by arrogance, selfishness in their Christian life, or that pursues the things of the world above the things of God is a Christian life that is full of wood, hay, and stubble. And the warning to ministers, and one which we can extend to families and to individuals this morning, is this. Don't ignore what you build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. It matters. And why does it matter? Well, that's our third point this morning. Ministers don't forsake the church as one foundation. Ministers don't ignore what you build upon that foundation. But third, this morning, and our final point for this morning, don't forget that there will be judgment upon your ministry. Don't forget that there will be judgment, fathers, upon how you lead your family. Don't forget that you as an individual believer will stand before God and be judged one day. You say, I... What, what do you mean? I thought, I thought when we got saved, we, we escaped that wrath. You escaped the wrath of hell. But the Scriptures tell us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all be judged for the things that we've done. Now, 
the believer will not be sent to hell. He's saved. But the scriptures say that we will be judged yet so as by fire. That the things that we do in our lives will still be, we will be held accountable for them. And I think sometimes as Christians we forget that. We overlook that. We, we think that because we are saved from the wrath of hell and from eternal punishment, that we're okay. And we forget that Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that there will indeed be a day of judgment. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that there will indeed be a day where we'll stand before God and we will, we will pass through the fire of God's judgment. And we should never forget that that day will indeed come. So ministers, as Paul speaks to the ministers of the church here, don't forget the judgment upon your ministry. Look at verse 13. Paul says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Paul warns in verse 13 that every man's work shall be made manifest. This is a Greek word that literally means to become visible, to become plain, or to become publicly open. It shall be made manifest. The curtain will be pulled back. All of the hidden closets will be opened. There will be nothing that will not be made manifest on that day. What is that day? It says here, Every work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. What day is the day? Well, the day is a phrase often used in the New Testament. We are looking at a time when all things will be made known. Paul said in Romans chapter 2 verse 5 in regard to this day that the... um, Well, he warns of the impenitent man, the man that that has no repentance in his heart. And he compares himself with others, and he warns that after the hardness and impenitent hearts, they treasure up unto themselves wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of God. So we see this idea of the day being spoken of as a day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He states the same thing in Romans chapter 2, verse 11. He calls it the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the Gospel. And so this day, the day that is spoken of, the day that is spoken of here, when uh, every man's work shall be made manifest, is what we often call the day of the Lord. It's the second coming. On that day, Paul says, our works will be revealed by fire. Now, fire in the New Testament, when not referring to literal fire, oftentimes fire is speaking of literal fire, but when it's not speaking of a literal fire, it's often, almost always speaking of the judgment of God. While we know that the believer will not be judged, as I mentioned, and sent to hell, every believer's work will, without fail, pass through the fire of God's judgment. Those elements of a church and of a ministry which were made up of gold, silver, and precious stones, those elements of the ministry which the ministers of God to the church have built up unto spiritual quality and value, those will pass through the fire of God's judgment untarnished. But those elements of a minister's ministry in the church of God, those things that he has built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in the hearts of believers that are valueless, 
that have no spiritual quality, that have led those men and those women into a, a way of carnality in their thinking, or worldliness in their thinking, the Scriptures tell us that those will burn as one would expect, wood, hay, and stubble to burn in a fire. They will be completely consumed, burned up in a moment. Verse 15 speaks of this as suffering loss. Now, verse 15 also tells us that he himself shall be saved. He is a minister of God. He is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, which means he is a believer on Jesus Christ. If he is a part of the, the building, the, the church, and yet he is building falsely upon the foundation. So he'll be saved, but all that work that he did, building that church, it will be consumed in a moment by the judgment of God. A loss of blessing and a loss of reward on the day of judgment. You know, we all have a tendency to think on the here and the now. Ministers are no different. We think about the here, we think about the now, and, and I um, would not want to fool you into thinking that your pastor does not often debate how he's building upon this foundation. You know, we have a good crowd this morning. I'm thankful for those that have come. We are missing a few folks that we might consider regulars for one reason or another. But we have a good crowd. But you know, we're not growing by leaps and bounds in this church. And that can be discouraging for a minister sometimes. And you know, as I think about that, and I think about what's being built here, the particular emphasis of this passage is Paul saying, look, Notice he never talks about how big the building gets. He talks about the quality of the building that's being built. See, because as ministers, there's a temptation in my heart to say, what could I do to get people to stay? They come, they visit. What can I do to get them to actually want to stay? We have a lot of people that come and visit and we never get to see their faces again and it's unfortunate. What could I do? What could we do as a church to get them to stay? And there are things that we have flexibility to do differently and then there's doctrinal things that we do because we believe it's right before God. And see, it's more important that Legacy Baptist Church is building up quality than it is that we're building up quantity. There might be a day that we stand before God and by God's grace, Legacy Baptist Church will pass through the fire of God's judgment and will come out untarnished. And there might be a church of five or six hundred people and that, that church got to that size because the pastor made compromises and brought the world into the church and allowed the, the people to conform themselves to the thoughts of the world and to be comfortable both being in the world and in the church. And they'll pass through the fire of God's judgment and it's possible on that day that that church will have less to show for all of their ministry than Legacy Baptist Church would. And that is the warning to ministers. That it's not about the amount. We could pile wood, hay, and stubble on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ all day. But when the fire of God's wrath judges the church of God, and the Scriptures tell us that judgment will begin at the house of God, only that which comes out on the other side will be worth anything. There are elements of our service that people don't really, um, that don't appeal to people's sense of, of amusement. In a few minutes, the sermon will be done, a sermon that lasted a good 40, 45 minutes. 
It's a long sermon for people. After that, we're going to have a time of prayer that might last for 15 minutes or so. That's a long time for people to pray in this day and age. But you know, we're determined in this church to do the things that are beneficial unto godliness. To hear the Word of God preached. To spend time in every service in some form or fashion in, in focused prayer. If we switched our musical stylings, we might get more people into this church. But we have our reasons and we are, we are confident that the music that we sing and the music that's played on the piano and the various instruments and the specials that are played before God is bringing the maximum honor and glory to God in a way that is reverential to Him and, under, uh, and taking into account His holiness, His attributes. And so we do what we do because we believe it's going to bring forth the most quality not necessarily the most quantity. Parents, I understand the temptation in your heart to want to keep your family relevant, engaged in society. The temptations that each parent would have to make sure that their children are acclimating well to their surroundings. The, the common misnomer around those who are homeschooled or those that uh, have any levels of protections erected around them as children that they are going to grow up and they're going to be um, um, socially maladjusted. It's a misnomer, by the way. But God won't judge you on the day of judgment for how relevant your family was. God won't judge you for how well your child fit into society. God will judge you for the spiritual quality of what you raised up. Individual. God will not judge you on the day of judgment for, how people, for what people thought of you. God will not judge you on the day of judgment for how much you blended into society. God will not judge you on the day of judgment for how well your business did. God will judge you for those elements of spiritual quality that you erected in your life. And that's what will pass through the fires of judgment. God will judge us. God will judge me as a minister for the spiritual fruit of Legacy Baptist Church. And if building up precious jewels means not appealing to a culture that is around us, then we need to do that. Now we don't, may I make this very clear, make ourselves intentionally abhorrent to society. There are factions of the church out there that go about to make themselves abhorrent for no good reason to the rest of society. To get under um, the skin of society as a whole. To make them angry. That's not what God has called us to do. That's not building up spiritual quality either. But God will judge us for the spiritual quality of the church, of our families, of ourselves as individuals. Now we have three more warnings to go. We'll, we'll hit those tonight. But as we leave, we have plenty to apply to our hearts today, do we not? The message in Paul's day was directed specifically towards ministers, but throughout the message we've been making application to families and to individuals as well. Now, these warnings, however, in regard to ministers can help you and I in particular ways as a church. Number one, 
we must understand that the church must always be founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. If a church is not founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, if the members of that church, if the body of believers that's serving and ministering in the church are not born again, it's not a church. It must be founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And number two, we must never ignore what's being built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Programs, popularity, social clubs, numbers, all of these things are fine, but they're not the end goal of a church. And if the church is being driven by popularity and programs and numbers, then it's being driven by wood, hay, and stubble. If the church is building on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ, those elements of the Christian life that we are commanded to regularly observe, knowledge and meditation of God's Word, prayer, fellowship one with another, and active evangelism of the lost, then the church is building up gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the kind of church you ought to be looking for. Likewise, parents are Christian. Don't ignore what you are building in your own lives and the lives of your family. Don't ignore the elements of Christian devotion that you layer on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ. When your child gets saved, you, your job has not ended. You haven't been victorious. Your job has just begun. They can finally understand the direction your family is going now. Now it's time to point them and move them in that direction. See, you're building something. You're building something either of spiritual quality or of spiritual obscurity. And one day the fires of judgment will make it all manifest. Nothing will be hid. And please don't forget that you will be judged. The fires of judgment are very real. You will be judged for what you are building upon this earth. My questions to you this morning as we close. Are there elements of your life right now are there things that you are doing on a daily basis? Are there things you plan to do this afternoon? Are there things that your family has on the schedule for this week? Are there things that your family doesn't have on the schedule this week, but you're pretty sure they're going to happen anyway that would not escape the fires of God's judgment? What are you doing with your free time? What do you do in the darkness when no one is looking? What do you do when you're all alone? See, God knows. And one day it will all be made manifest. Every element of this church, every element of what's being built in this church will be made manifest one day. Every element of what's being built in your family will be made manifest one day. And every element of what you've built into your own heart and life will be made manifest one day. What are you building on top of that foundation? Every false motive, every worldly step I take will be made utterly manifest. But yours will be as well. Is your life ready? If Christ came now, well, first off, do you have the foundation? Are you a born-again believer? I've mentioned it all throughout the service. If the Holy Spirit has revealed to you today through this message that you are not a born-again believer, that you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, well, then you don't even have the foundation. And on the day of judgment, when you stand before God, He will say guilty. And you'll be sent to the fires of hell for eternity. But if you're a born-again believer, you do not have to fear the fires of hell on that day. However, you still should fear the judgment of God. What are you building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ? Is it profitable? 
Is there any spiritual value to it at all? May God help us to be men and women that as we stand before God one day, we'll stand before Him unashamed. And after the fire of God's judgment, we will have a pile of, wood, of, of gold, silver, and precious stones that we can lay at our Savior's feet and say, To God be the glory. Great things He hath done.